Did you hear the news? LifeFlow has been named one of the best accounting and finance software products for 2024 by G2. And because of the support of listeners like you, LifeFlow is also on G2's list of the 100 fastest growing products of 2024. If you're thinking about implementing LifeFlow with clients soon, there's even more good news. G2 also awarded LifeFlow as most implementable for winter 2024. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, LifeFlow, later in the episode. Ever wished you could earn CPE credits while on the go? Introducing Earmark, the app revolutionizing the way accountants earn their CPE. Just listen to your favorite accounting and tax podcasts, whether you're driving to work, working out, or even doing chores. After you're done listening, take a quick quiz. Score 70% or higher, you've earned your CPE. It's that easy. Plus, with Earmark, you're not just ticking a box. You're actually learning valuable insights from top accounting podcasts. So why wait? Download the Earmark app now on iOS or Android and transform your listening time into CPE credits. Make the most of your day and stay ahead with Earmark. Auditors, one of their primary jobs is determining what is material and what is immaterial. And if it's immaterial, then it doesn't matter. And the court said that BDO's audit report is immaterial because it's so general to be useless. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio. Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And this is our last live stream of 2023. The last one of 2023, wrapping up the year. David, you haven't taken any official paid time off. How are you doing? Are you feeling productive in this strange week between Christmas and New Year's? I feel like, well, we're in a weird spot, right? Because it's our busy season. Everybody wants CPE. I also feel like accountants, I get a lot of out-of-office messages, but they're all kind of really working because they're catching up on conversations we had in October. So email threads from October, September are now bubbling up in a man box. And I'm like, oh no, so I'm putting stress on myself. Like, oh, I got to reply. I got to be on top of these. So yeah. I'm feeling this like, I still in the crunch. I think yesterday the wife even gave me some grief about like, like most of the world slows down this week. And I, I've, I've not felt like I've slowed down this week. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully this evening and tomorrow for sure. I don't like taking off time this time of year in December because I feel like things slow down anyways a little bit. So I want to stay up on my email. I don't want to let that inbox build up so that I have a big one in the new year. And then I take time off in January. But maybe that's just the nature of our business, right? CPE, continuing education with your mark. Uh, 80% of CPE or something like that is earned between December 1st and December 31st, which is totally ridiculous. See the people doing CPE on Christmas. People are subscribing to the Earmark app and, and taking classes yeah. on Christmas Day. <laughs> so if you're in that group, which, hey, I, I've been there, um, you can you can get some really high-quality CPE for listening today to this episode. Uh, finish listening to this hour and then download the Earmark app and you can register for the course. It'll be online. Uh, although, actually, I don't know if we'll have the course up for this episode until next year. But you can go back and get credit for all of the other episodes you've listened to and uh, get your CPE out of the way. Um, or you can get your CPE for this one. It puts you off onto a good start for 2024. That's right, exactly. And that's the key, all right? New Year's resolution, don't let the CPE pile up. Use the Earmark app every week to get a free CPE credit and uh, do a CPE every week and, and you're done before December even rolls around. We have a lot of folks who uh, drive to work 
listen to an episode, get CPE. But my favorite example is um, we had a listener, Hannah, who said uh, she she got her nails done and earned CPE with uh, while getting a manicure. Like, I mean, isn't that amazing? What a world we live in now. Self driving. We don't have we don't quite have the self driving cars, but we do have the CPE. CPE. While you get a manicure. But I want to talk about busy season because that's coming up. I know that the anxiety is weighing on some folks already. And if you are a firm owner or you have a team that you manage, you may want to pay attention to this new study by Slack, a global survey by Slack involving over 10,300 employees revealed that 37% of employees work after hours at least once a week with 54% doing so out of perceived necessity. So over half are working late because they feel like they have to. However, this pressure to work late leads to a 20% decrease in productivity during the day, increased work-related stress and burnout, and lower job satisfaction. So if you force employees or you compel employees to work late, to work more hours, they will be less productive during the day. This kind of seems obvious, but now we have data to support it. We have a survey to support it. Brian, welcome to the live stream. Brian says, when I get my next tattoo, I'll listen to you so you can say someone got CPE while getting a tattoo. That's wonderful. Amazing. Maybe maybe at some point, Brian, we can sponsor a tattoo. Well, I have a challenge. When when Earmark gets its 100,000 subscriber, I'll get an Earmark ear tattoo. I will. You'll get an Earmark ear tattoo, the logo? You get 100,000 subscribers, yeah. Where would you get the tattoo, David? I don't know, probably forearm or somewhere. I don't know. Okay. On my ear? Right. Make it green. <laughs> on, your, on, your for, on your forehead? Forehead, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, thanks everyone who has joined us live today. Uh, we got some folks in the office getting ready. All Pro Lemonton Z says, left big four for internal audit. First time not having a busy season in four years. Congratulations. How does it feel? It must feel amazing not to have to worry about that. But anyway, I want to get back to the survey. So here's the important thing, right? So we had this 20% drop in productivity. So David, you know, I'm your boss right? I make you work late. The problem is the next day now you're 20% less productive. So let's, let's math this out. If you work so then late... I, then I want to work extra, right? To... Well, so if you work extra at, in the evening, the next day you're less productive. So it kind of like offsets itself, right? Like let's say you work an hour after hours or two hours today. Then tomorrow you're 20% less productive you know, 20% of an eight-hour day, let's call it a 10-hour day since we're overworking you, is two hours. So we just lost it. So there's no there's no net benefit for the people you forced to work late. Now, the, the now difference does it compound? Is, I, I don't know. I, well, if you're always 20% less productive during the day, then all the extra work you're working after hours, yeah. right, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't do, help. Remove the needle, yeah. Now, here's the thing. If, if people work of their own accord during post-work hours, they actually have slightly greater productivity and wellness scores and don't report the same amount of negative impact that they're pressured to work peers do. So if you can motivate your employees to want to work overtime, there's no disadvantage to that. Now, also, there's some interesting data in the survey about surveillance. The pandemic led to increased surveillance of remote workers by bosses and executives concerned about productivity. However, research indicates that workplace surveillance 
can negatively impact job performance and increase the likelihood of employees quitting. It also encourages productivity theater, where workers spend time appearing busy after completing their tasks. The survey found that employees appreciate autonomy and the ability to manage their own time. Half of all office workers rarely or never take a break, leading to high burnout levels, worse work-life balance, and lower productivity. Allowing employees to decide when and how they work appears to improve their job performance. How much of this is management and how much of it is just people's own personalities? Wherever you put this burden on yourself to answer every email, work extra, even if you're managing your own time, right? Right. You, you, like, I need to get this done, so I'm going to skip my break. Or I'm not going to take a lunch today or I won't shower, especially if you're working at home. I'm not going to shower today. Like, because you're like, I need that half hour. I need that 20 minutes or I can't, I can't go to the gym. Right. How much is it people's personalities versus management really controlling them? Well, that's like nature versus nurture, the classic yeah. argument, right? But I think a lot of it is the environment we're in. So I just think back to the brief time when I was in a big public accounting firm and we had the managers on the outer ring of the office and then we had all the staff in the bullpen in the middle. And the staff, I had staff tell me that they would just stay at their desk all the time and not leave and take a break because when the partner walked around, they wanted to be there, visible, because that's how... So that's, that's how productivity a lot of theater. The, that's productivity theater. So not taking the break is productivity theater to make the partner think that you are being productive. In reality, you are not being productive. And you know what's interesting? I wonder how much time that people are in offices during busy season is just completely wasted. And it's just people being there for productivity theater. And the reason I think that is because you and I were just having a chat with Gail Perry at CPA Practice Advisor. And she told us, that CPA Practice Advisor, a publication for CPAs and CPA firm owners in particular, gets most of its like readership in January, February, March timeframe, which is supposed to be the time when everybody's working. <laughs> Too busy. So what are people doing? They're probably sitting at their computers and they're reading websites. They're not working. But it's this productivity theater, right? You've got to be there in the office supporting everybody. And that's uh, why we have had these mandatory Saturdays, which I think are finally starting to go away, David. You had some information about mandatory Saturdays? So Counting Today has their, and it just came out this morning, the 29th, just this morning it was released, their year ahead in numbers, where they've surveyed about 300 firms, comparing their thoughts about the future, what's happening in 2024. And I'll skip down to that slide you're talking about, about working weekends, tax life balance. So they do plan on working less Saturdays in tax season this year, firms do, So as you can see, compared to 2023. So in 2023, 40% of firms made staff work all Saturdays in tax season. Is that what this chart is showing? I, I don't know if that's a record of what they did. I think it was the record of the previous survey of what they Intended to do? Intended to do last year, right? So, so this, is, this is a survey of intentions. I mean, it could have been 80% that actually did it, right? But they well, have better intentions this year. Yeah. Like. Well, so so last year it says 40% said staff have to work all Saturdays and 23% of firms said they only have to work some Saturdays. Yep. And this year, what are the numbers? So 34% think they're going to have to have their staff work all Saturdays and just 32% think it's going to be some Saturdays. Okay. Um, well, I guess that's an improvement, right? I mean, we're down 6%, 40% to 34%, but it still concerns me that 
like a third of firms are making their staff work all Saturdays. And that could be, I mean, another part of this survey uh, that actually wasn't, so they summarized it in graphs on this post, but then the PDF of the survey had an interesting chart we can jump into. I just can't believe, I'm just, I mean, and I so, know this is classic, but like to make to make your staff, all of them, work every Saturday is insane to me because but, what if you have staff who are really talented who get all their work done? They still have to come in? Like there's no incentive to be efficient. But a third of the people they, they in the survey do not have a strategic plan at their firm. So if you don't have a plan and you just run around in chaos, you probably expect to have to work Saturdays because you didn't plan a way to not work Saturdays. That's right. a good point. Okay, yeah. so <laughs> walk so, us through this chart. All right, so this is a large-scale planning they were asked about, right? Is this so, the same survey? Same survey. This is just, this graph wasn't in the summary post. It was deeper in the deck. So this is on page 10 of the actual PDF. Okay. They basically asked, you know, about planning. So a strategic plan. 61% either say they have a current plan or plan to implement a strategic plan. But that means one-third, 40, almost 40% don't have any plan, any strategic plan. Well, yeah, and it says only 41% of firms currently have a strategic plan. Yes, yeah. so less than so, half have a strategic <laughs> plan right now today. Which, I mean, I understand, right? Like, a lot, most firms are small. Yeah. And if you're a tiny firm with just one, two, three partners, you're not going to, like, what are the odds you have a document... Strategic. Do we have a strategic plan, David? You and me. In our heads, we talked it out, but it's not. It's not written <laughs> it's not down. Documented. No. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> but what, what really concerns me about the plan on this, you know, fifty percent are planning or have a plan for a succession plan. So that means fifty right? percent have no plan or like not no even plan intended. at all. But when you think about succession plan, who does that solving for usually? Partners, right? Yeah. Right. Partners, well, I mean, owners. and the survival of the firm, the clients. Survival of the firm, right? right? But. And this kind of I feel like is the issue with retention, and we can talk about that on some of the other slides. Like, but if you think about the uh, only less than a third care about uh, having a plan for a health and wellness program, mm. less than a third basically want any, uh, a mentorship program, right? Yeah. A mentorship or sponsorship program. Um, 60% have zero plan to become more diverse, right? So the, the, it's where the focus is, right? The focus is succession. Right, not taking care of people lower down on the ladder. Yeah, um, from a from a planning perspective, making plans around those types of things. But I imagine you can't do any of the others until you have your main strategic plan. Like, how can firms not all firms have a plan? Especially if you're in small business cash and you're advising clients. <laughs> like, aren't you helping your clients make plans? Like, this is the pot kettle well, here on that one. You know, this is actually a great job for AI. Ask it to help you make a strategic plan. It could at least get you started, get you thinking about what categories you want to have in your strategic plan. Yeah. So maybe we should do have, that. They all have uh, expectations to hire more. Firms in the survey want to hire more. They all have expectations to hire, obviously, based on the size of firm. Firms that are like staffed 29 or 20 employees to 99 or 97% are expecting to hire one or more staff in 2024. Mm -hmm. Um, but what's interesting is where they're all going to come from. Yes, and that's where this next graph. So they have their diminishing expectations. So this is average number of staff firms expect to hire in the year ahead. In the 2022 survey, 46 percent 
of the firms responded saying they expect to hire in the year ahead. But in the 2023 survey, only 22% say they expect to hire. So I'm wondering, is, is that a result of less hiring plans? Or is it just they've reconciled the reality of, oh my God, it's going to be so hard to hire. We're, we're going to have- We're just to, not even going to try. We're, we're, what's not even try, but just they, they have realistic expectations now of like, oh, I'm going to have positions I might not be able to fill. Yeah. Right. I thought that was interesting. This episode of the Accounting Podcast is sponsored by LifeLow. I was talking to Beth Melcher of MoneyFit while at QuickBooks Connect, and she was raving about how LifeLow's consolidation feature is saving her team 15 to 20 minutes per client every week. I love how LifeLow's automated multi-entity consolidation is so simple to use. You can easily map multiple unmatching chart of accounts from multiple QuickBooks Online companies into one unified report. And once it's set up, LifeLow works its magic, updating the consolidations automatically in real time, so you can focus on analysis using instantly updated data. LifeLow can even consolidate financials that are different currencies, and the possibilities don't stop there. LifeLow empowers you with flexible, powerful reporting tools to create customized dashboards that meet your specific needs, build executive presentations, cash flow forecasts, and more with just a few clicks. To stop grueling over manual consolidation reports and to get 20% off your first three months, head over to accountingpodcast.promo slash LifeLow. That is accountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. And then one thing they had a question that's really is really indicative of where people's heads are, and it's a really good question. It's like what's keeping uh, firms up at night? And they ask small firms, they ask mid-sized firms, and they ask large firms. And really, for small firms, if you look at it, a lot of it has to do with like staffing, right? They can't mm-hmm. keep up with tech, they can't keep up with regulatory change, uh, they probably don't have a sales team to find new clients, so they're having a lack of staff. They're just not big enough. These small firms, right? Yep. Mid-sized firms, you look at these, uh, recruiting retention, 66%, keeping up with change, 33%, partner and staff accountability, 28%, managing remote hybrid staff, 24%. These are all management issues. They're having management so, people, HR issues, right? This is yeah. interesting to me is, is how much of a difference the re- recruiting and retention is at the mid-sized firms. 66%, that's their biggest issue. And yeah. it's only- 33% at 33%. firms. So it's twice as, the, the, the bar is twice as big for the mid-sized firms with recruiting and retention. And that's possible because they have enough staff where it helps these other things get solved, but they have a whole mm-hmm. different set of problems. The fact that they have to keep partner and staff accountability, <laughs> like that's a big issue they have. Now, big firms don't really have that. Big firms all still have the recruiting retention issue yeah. at 65%, but really a lot of the, again, succession planning is important at the big firms. Like that right. keeps you pull up at night. At the well, that's firms. that's the thing is right. So right now, I keep hearing how the mid-sized firms are getting bigger and bigger because they're absorbing all of these smaller firms that don't have a succession plan. But now the mid-sized firms have a problem, which is they have all these clients and partners that came in from the small firms, but they don't. They're having trouble keeping the staff. Yeah, because one of the benefits of working for a small firm is you get that smaller firm culture. You get probably more flexibility. And you go to a mid-sized firm and now they're making you come to the office and they're making you use certain tech. And, you know, there's a lot of disadvantages to working for a mid-sized firm. It becomes more corporate. Culture might not be what you'd had in the past. And, and like, at what point does this become a crisis? Yeah, because you're, you're, if you acquire three or four firms, now you have different managers, there's politics. Like, I could see why these mid-sized firms, like these are the problems. They're all people mm-hmm. and HR related issues. Um, one thing that I was a little confused about on this slide, so 
they want to ask how much time these firms are uh, spending on compliance, advisory, and administrative. And pretty much it's 20% administrative, advisory is 35% of their time, and compliance is 44% of the time. But they're asking them, like, how you're going to spend on these areas going forward in 2024. Are you going to increase more or decrease? 27% of the firms expect to increase compliance, 49% to increase their time spent on advisory, and 16% uh, expect to increase for administrative. And the only decreases that were major were really the administrative. 18% of the firms think they're going to have less. But if you take these three things and think about opportunity cost, if you have the same person answering the question, if people, if 49% are saying they're going to increase the time spent on advisory, 27% are saying compliance, wouldn't a decrease in administration have to be higher? It's almost like nobody's being very logical about their pie of time, right? Yeah. You can't do all three of these if you well, increase and, two of them. So in, in the, the contradiction in the, in the profession right now is there's this big push to away from compliance toward advisory, but advisory is the hardest thing to staff because it requires the greatest skill to deliver. Yeah. So if you're a mid-sized firm and you're like, let's build an advisory virtual CFO practice, that's really challenging right now with the talent shortage to pay and hold on to those people because you need mid-career professionals. You need CPAs, finance professionals in their 30s to deliver advice. You can't, you know, you can't do it like these consulting firms like McKinsey and put 22-year-olds advising CEOs. You know, I mean, like, you, can. Just, you, you can try, but I, I don't think it's going to work in the in the CFO role, in the finance role. Yeah. So. And the, the only last one they had a graph of, which I wish they would do it a little bit different, is they're talking about uh, the percentage of firms that are uh, filing extensions for clients. Mm-hmm. And essentially... Oh, this one is third, fascinating. One third of firms are putting 25% of their clients or more on extensions. And usually the bigger the firm, the more clients they're putting on extension as a percentage. Right. But I think the question I'd rather see is how many firms are putting 100% of their clients on extension yes. to to smooth out the workflow for the year versus, this, oh, we didn't get the work done. Hurry up, put them on extension. Yeah. Right. So we have, we have heard from a few firms that do this. When you become a client, you agree 100% you will go on extension. All the clients go on extension. And they, like you said, the work gets pieced out over the course of the year. You could totally do this as a firm right now. There's so much demand for your services. If you, if you have a full book of business, instead of getting rid of clients to make room, because you have to do all that work in like three or four months, you could just make everybody agree to go on extension and you could keep the clients and spread out the work. So- Because essentially you've eliminated like, all deadlines. I know, well, I know people you say- a, a deadline at the very, very end, yeah. but- I mean, you still have to do the, you still have to figure out the tax liability because you got to pay the tax, right? But you don't have to file the returns then like on, in April. Yeah. So that does help and it does help spread out the work. And I don't understand why more firms don't do this. And I know the clients push back on this because, oh, I want my refund or I want to get it done. But like you have control, you have leverage. If you're in demand, you could you could make this a requirement. It's totally doable. And we've heard from firm owners who are doing it successfully. And that's where so, you put them, people that have that argument, you're like, great, next year you're going to. You'll be the first return done because we're going to put you on our tax preparation plan all year where we figure out your estimated and we figure out things along the way so we can instantly do your taxes, right? Yes. Either way, you're going to go on extension or you're going to buy the 
effective. I'm better prepared plan, whatever you want to call that, right? Moving through. We got a question from Chayton. Chayton says, hi, Blake and David. I am a junior accounting student right now. I love the podcast and resources you guys share. What advice do you have for me as an accounting student to navigate the uncertainty? Well, first, thanks for listening. And I'm so glad that you are studying accounting because we do not have nearly enough accountants in school. So stick with it. That's my uh, advice. Do not quit. Yes. But I, I agree, like navigating the profession is probably the hardest thing. There are, there are awful jobs in accounting that will burn you out and will make you want to quit and leave like many people do. And there are amazing jobs in accounting that offer flexibility and freedom. And that's what drew me into accounting was that flexibility, ironically. That's why every time we, we do our busy season shows, I just, I have a hard time understanding why this is the way the profession is because there's, there are plenty of roles where you don't have this workload compression. And it's almost like we do it to ourselves in a lot of ways. Um, so gosh, I mean, I'd say just don't really, you have to stick to it and don't quit. Cause you're going to have a bad accounting experience. It's a roll of the dice. It's probably hyper probability somewhere along your journey. You're going to have a bad accounting experience. Just don't quit the industry. There are good accounting experiences out there. You just yeah. have to not quit. Really. Well, I, I guess I would say, um, like for me, I think the best area to go right now is accounting services, client accounting services, advisory services, virtual CFO kind of stuff, if you can do that. I think that's really rewarding in the right firm. Um, I mean, but I'm biased because I got my start in bookkeeping. And so I just, I loved accounting software and bookkeeping and combining those two things and figuring out how to automate all the bookkeeping and the flow of the data, as Doug Sleater uh, calls it, the uh, digital plumbing. That's fun. Plus, I mean, it's rewarding, right? Because you're providing value yeah. to the client when you're dealing them with their bookkeeping and, and that stuff versus an audit, which arguably people are saying it's not even valuable anymore. But I also see how tax can be like really rewarding and exciting and fun. Um, there was this one partner at Armanino who specialized in real estate in LA. And the nesting and layering of all of these different entities and the ownership interests, the, the diagrams, she had actually printed out for one client that was a huge real estate investor, this, this flow chart of like LLCs that had 50 entities or something or more on it and, and was really proud of this and showed it to me. And I just thought this was, that's so cool. Like to be able to understand that and to be able to manage that is really interesting. I guess, I guess my advice would be just like, find something that you find fascinating in accounting and follow that. Because if you really enjoy the mental challenge, then you'll be able to overcome any of the work issues, environment issues. And that's true, I think, for any job, right? If yeah. you really love the job. So don't take a job just because it's secure. You don't have to worry about that anymore. There's plenty of jobs in accounting. Um, you know, I mean, work on those interpersonal skills, right? Not all of us uh, got into accounting because that's our strong suit. So if you can like do Toastmasters or something similar and, and learn to like network with people, I mean, that's also really challenging, right? The young, young people don't get as many in-person opportunities these days. So much stuff is online. Um, if you can build up those skills where you can like talk to people in person and be personable, 
uh, your opportunities in accounting are really unlimited. So if I guess follow your passion and work on those personal skills. Um, and then, of course, you know, have the basic knowledge, get good grades, right? Understand what you're talking about. If any of our listeners have feedback for Chayton, please feel free to put that in the chat. We'll pass it along. Madman Dan is talking here in his comment about the uh, that idea, David, of extending everyone. Madman Dan says, we always had that on our engagement letter. I never understood why firms stressed it out to get clients to agree ahead. Put the extension through. Awesome. Good to hear. Joe says, uh, wish I didn't have a call at 12.30 p.m. Love being able to see these live. Sorry, Joe. One of our New Year's resolutions is to figure out how we can get this show to be like on a regular schedule when we live stream and somehow even send you a calendar invite so that it, it just shows up on your calendar. And we need to figure out how if we change the time, it just changes your cal on your calendar. I think a lot of people would want that. Actually, if, if anyone is listening and knows how we could accomplish that, <laughs> where we can like send everyone, people can just sign up for a calendar invite. We thought about using a Google group or something to do this and just putting like a link to the live stream in there. I think we'll we're able to do it something. through the Earmark app. I think through the earmark cause, app because the app's but, on your phone it connects to your calendar we can that's where we're going to do it soon madman dan says agree on the automations should check out or join some groups or online communities to see what tools are used by some of the techie firms helps to take time to learn the tools and to gain experience yep oh and that's a good point is find a firm uh that doesn't work you to the bone so that you have time to develop your skills beyond just whatever the work is that you're being assigned. Because that's how you increase your value, especially when it comes to technology. So like, look for a firm that's using the latest tech or that gives you the time to learn the tech and implement the tech. I think that's really important. Do you want to talk about, I think you had a story about the a judge or something said audits don't matter. <laughs> I'd love to see this. Because <laughs> well, I have an audit story too. I could you know, possibly tie it. Yeah, so this headline, in the Wall Street Journal is, burned investors ask, where were the auditors? A court says, who cares? <laughs> so this is the result of a ruling by, was it the second court of appeals? The second US court of appeals in a case in which BDO got sued for a failed audit. The auditors didn't do their job. The company misled investors and investors lost a bunch of money. BDO USA was the external auditor. Amtrust Financial Services overstated its profits for years. Eventually, as tends to happen, the truth came out. Investors lost a lot of money, and they sued the auditor, saying, hey, you, you signed off on these financials, right? You issued a clean opinion, unqualified opinion, right? We, we want our money. And you would think this would be good for the auditors that the court ruled that BDO was not liable. But the reason that the court dismissed the claims against BDO is because uh, they said the audit report is so generic as to be not material and therefore did not matter. So no investor could have actually relied upon the audit report and therefore the case is dismissed against BDO. Like, think so about that. This goes to your argument, which people are buying stock. They don't care about the financials. They don't care about 
the audit reports. They're just, they're buying stock for other reasons, right? They're investing in companies for other reasons. But the second something goes wrong, now the investors are like, why wasn't I warned in the audit? That's, that's basically the argument of the case here. Right. And the court said that, no, you didn't actually rely upon the audit because the language of BDO's audit report was so general that an investor wouldn't have relied upon it. Consequently, the court said the audit report wasn't material, meaning it didn't matter, and upheld the dismissal of the claims against BDO. So I love the irony of that. Auditors, one of their primary jobs is determining what is material and what is immaterial. And if it's immaterial, then it doesn't matter. And the court said that BDO's audit report is immaterial because it's so general to be useless. And so this is going to encourage BDO on all future audits to be as generic and useless as possible so they can protect themselves from legal troubles. I mean, well, this is so this is what's this is actually the outcome of regulation over years and years in which we have made the audit report so generic, so standardized to render it in, inherently useless to investors. So like we've created this situation as the accounting profession. We created a situation where we are so protected, the auditors are so protected from any potential liability, we've removed the risk entirely from the audit. As long as you check all the boxes, which is easy enough to do, right? There's no risk. And you know, Ron Baker, he says all the time that Profit derives from risk. If you don't take risk, you can only make a small profit. Yep. That's the nature of trading in commodities. Right? Very little risk, very little reward. The bigger risk you take, such as starting a business, right? investing in startups, you, you can have an, a, massive, a massive reward, right? And so because we've, we've regulated audit into this state where there's almost no risk, there's very little reward, which means the profits are capped. And this is why salaries have not changed in 10, 20 years. Because when you reduce the risk, you reduce the, the, the money, the profit. It's just a commodity. Reward. Right, there's right no, it's a commodity. There's no service. There's no, there's no value know, add. Yeah. Right. So a company has to get an audit, and they have to just go to any – they just have to get it from somebody. So the only – you know, distinguishing factor between audit firms really is the size of the firm. Can they handle your audit? Other than that, it doesn't really matter. And it's a pass-fail system. So, you know, it's sort of like the CPA exam where all the audit partners are just trying to do enough work to get that pass, to pass the client, and nothing more. So why is audit quality so terrible? It's because we've created the system that incentivizes auditors to do the least amount of work possible. Does in this article does it talk about these uh, investors that are suing like how much market cap or valuation they maybe maybe lost? Because because I, I think I'm I'm seeing this and like they sued over this. But then I have an article that I saw in Fortune magazine that I'm reading hearing you. I'm like oh my god, investors are going to be suing like crazy. Uh, two firms in particular. So this is an article in Fortune. SPAC companies accounted for at least 21 bankruptcies in 2023, and a staggering $46 billion was lost of investor value. So if we rewind a little bit, when we talk about SPAC companies, these are those special purpose acquisition companies, Blake. Yep. And, you know, it's like maybe there's a public taco shop that's listed on one of the public markets. It's cheap. 
we buy the company and then we roll our company into that stock and we just bypass the entire workflow and vetting due diligence of an IPO. Like it's now a we're backdoor a IPO. It's a backdoor IPO. I cannot right? sometimes believe. They call it, say sometimes they call it blank check companies. Yeah. Sometimes they refer to it as that. Yeah. So you have your WeWorks. These are the companies that have done this. Well, and 21 and 20, 2023 at, uh, declared bankruptcy, but now they're suspecting 100, in 2024, 140 other SPACs are going to need financing in the next year to keep operating. Right. And so these are kind of shocking numbers, but the real shocking numbers, if we go back to episode 231, you brought this to the show and we talked about SPACs and how Witham and Markham are doing most of the audits. So this is yes. like yeah, 2019, the big four, 20, 21. Big four wouldn't touch it. Yes. Yeah. They won't so. touch it at all. And, 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 you know, Witham brags about it on their own website. They even have, it looks like they made a little image, a badge. They're the number one 2020 SPAC auditor, auditory of record. Is that still right? there? <laughs> super, super proud of all these things, right? Yeah. Um, but here's the scary thing. So like with them, 90% of all their public audit engagements are SPACs. 90%? 90% wow. are SPACs. So, and between the two firms, 78% of all SPACs, they're doing all of them. So now like step back, if a big chunk of your book of business, your audit business is going to declare bankruptcy. Like, are, are these firms screwed with them and Markham? Like, like these are the majority of your audit, well, at least the audit practice is probably in big trouble. If most of these, if, cause if, if they're doing most of the SPACs and that's most of their book of business and most SPACs are going to declare bankruptcy. Yeah. Yeah. And then to More then this goes to the, the way. More, yeah, more layoffs in the way. And then it goes to the lawsuits. Like, are, are where this is going to have to bubble up because they're the, really the only two firms that were doing these. Um, and as a percentage, the big four, less than 1% of their clients are SPACs, their audit clients. <laughs> so these two firms, like, they've almost exposed themselves to a. How do you explain that to the other partners? I'd be pissed if I was a partner and be like, wait a second, half of our book of business is in bankruptcy? Well, and possibly. Yeah. How do you recruit new partners, right? At what yeah. point do you? Managers and directors stop wanting to be partners, and then you have unless a real you have crisis. a good ba bankruptcy advisory um. practice, and you just shift them over to that division and keep making money on there their bankruptcy go. procedures. There you go. The smart firms but. can can serve clients no matter what life cycle they're in, right? All the way from IPO to bankruptcy. But but that's the right logic, right? If 100 former SPACs this next year are going to have to take additional financing to keep operating, so they're they're on the tinkering of going bankrupt, and with them and Markham are doing most of those. That's a lot of their client base that is in trouble financially. This episode of the Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Zoho Practice. Introducing Zoho Practice, the all-in-one practice management platform built to streamline accounting firm operations. Zoho Practice saves you time chasing clients by automating reminders and requests to get you the documents and clarifications you need when you need them. Staff and clients stay connected through a centralized communication hub to resolve accounting queries faster. Seamless timesheets and billing translate billable hours into invoices with just a few clicks, and robust document management means no more digging through piles of paper to find what you need. Beyond workflow efficiency, Zoho Practice also enables real-time financial visibility across clients thanks to seamless integrations with Zoho's accounting tools. 
allowing you to gain actionable insights to identify and resolve reporting inconsistencies quickly. Whether ensuring tax compliance, monitoring cash flow, or simplifying collaboration, Zoho Practice is the unified solution to manage all aspects of an accounting practice. To explore how Zoho Practice can save time, enhance oversight, and help your firm work smarter for free, head over to accountingpodcast.promo slash Zoho. That is accountingpodcast.promo forward slash Z-O-H-O. A lot of chatter in the live stream. Chris Maxey says, I find one interesting difficulty with accounting right now is the work-life balance conscious firms versus nose to the grindstone firms. Hourly compensation with the expectation that they only work 2,000 hours a year versus salary at 2,800 hours is a hard concept for prospects to understand. I agree. Yeah, it looks like to somebody who's never done it, you want to take the bigger salary, but that extra 800 hours has severe consequences for your mental and physical well-being. So personal story, six months ago, in the height of the uh, record temperatures here in the Phoenix area, I decided I just couldn't be inside. We had like 53 days of 110 degree temperatures. And, you know, I, I have an elliptical at home, kind of like a small one. And it's just like, I was getting tired of that. So I started swimming because that's what you can do outside. And I got really into it. I just, I discovered I'd never really swam. I took lessons as a kid, but I'd never really done it as an adult. Um, and my son was taking lessons too. So that also inspired me. I just started swimming at like the local pool. And I've gotten to the point now where I'm swimming. Well, I'm getting, my Apple watch says I'm getting an hour and a half of exercise every day. So basically, I've set aside like a two-hour block every day to get exercise. I could not do that if I was in a traditional firm. At 2,800 hours. Yeah, yeah. Even the firm that I worked at. So I worked at a, the largest California-based accounting firm in LA, and I had a commute. Um, I, I didn't have to work crazy hours because I was in the accounting services team. We called it outsourced finance and accounting, and we had a busy season, but it was much more moderate, right? So I don't even know what it was. Maybe I was working like 2,200 hours, but I couldn't do this schedule if I was in that firm. And the reason I bring it up is because ever since I started doing this like six months ago, I've lost 20 pounds and I feel better than I've ever felt in my whole life. And everybody should be able to do this. And I'm more productive when I am working. So I'm, I'm actually, I had to cut out work hours, you know, building earmark. I had to say, I'm going to stop working at this time every day so I can go swim. But the hours that I do work in the morning, in the early afternoon, more productive. And the things that I'm not doing are just not that important, apparently, because we continue to have amazing growth. Uh, I looked at our, I don't know what our numbers are for this week. We get a lot of signups at the end of the year. But last week, we were up like 2.8 times what we were last year. So we have doubled, tripled, and I'm still able to do this. It goes back to your first article about the extra two hours a day working, right? That that extra work. Like, really, if you think about that extra 800 hours for the 2,800-hour work year, 
you know, you're probably, it really stacks, right? And you're not being productive. And then the next year, you, because you skipped exercising for a year, you're less healthy, which means yeah. you're probably less productive. And yeah, the vast consequences of this. This this mentality in the profession where every hour is an equal unit of work output is totally false. And it's probably the the biggest barrier to us advancing in accounting is that we have this mentality. You work an hour, you create an hour of output, whatever that is, at your billing rate, right? You work an hour and you create $300 of value. And I mean, it's not true. The Pareto principle, go look that up. If you've ever heard of that, it's this idea that if you haven't heard about it, look it up. It's this idea that 20% of our inputs, 20% of the work we do creates 80% of the outputs. It's a rule of thumb. Uh, yeah. Definitely applies in sales organizations where about 20% of the salespeople create about 80% of the revenue for a company traditionally in a lot of other areas too. And I, th I think it really applies to some extent in the work that I do. And so as long as I do those really high value tasks every day, the company will continue to grow and thrive and succeed. And then my goal is to automate everything else that doesn't add a lot of value. Matthew Canis wrote an article for Accounting Today, and he, like, the, the piece that really stuck out in this to me is really aligns with this. You know, this, and he calls it out as like interest versus action, right? And if you think about it, you know, all the firms and all these surveys, it's staff shortages, it's inefficient manual processes, it's too much client work. And really, look at it, everybody's trying to hire more and more and more. But then on the other side, the action side, right? Hiring can't be the only action. And the, the, there's other surveys who are saying basically 82% of accountants said they're intrigued or excited about AI, but only 25% are actively either training their teams or trying to use it or implement it, right? And it's like, maybe, maybe the answer for a lot of our problems are not just hire more. Like we got to, people start, start having to go other paths. It's not more hours. Like make people yeah. work 3,200 hours a year instead of 2,800. Maybe that'll solve the crisis. Yeah. The firms that we talk to that I interview on my Earmark podcast, one of the themes is reducing what you do, cutting back. Uh, we talked with Keela Hill Trawick yep. on our Two show weeks recently. Ago three. Yep. And she scaled back the services she offered. She got rid of payroll and she got rid of paying bills for clients because that way her team wasn't dealing with urgent payment requests and they could have constant more. deadlines there's always yeah. deadlines yeah. right and and i've done that anyone who's done that knows <laughs> payroll and bill pay require you to be available and to not mess up like on a daily basis and you can't really take it's really hard to take time off on a team on a small team and she has a small team and doesn't want them to be beholden to those deadlines and so she got rid of it and her firm is growing and they're happier uh, that's something that doesn't happen a lot in most firms it's just add 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 services so we got some advice for Chayton. HK Geek says, Chayton, know your worth. Don't tolerate the bad. And also be kind to yourself. Yes. You know, this whole th question from Chayton takes me back to the interview we did with the UWorld guys, Peter Alinto, formerly of Becker, and uh, Roger yeah. from Roger CPA. And I, I understand their attitude or their teaching method, which is like Peter Alinto in particular, he's all about motivating his students to push through the CPA exam, like set aside everything else, tell your family for six months, you're going to be studying. Don't get a girlfriend, girlfriend. Yeah, you know, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice for the big financial benefit of becoming a CPA someday. 
And that's true, right? There is a tangible benefit. You make a lot more money as a CPA than you do without it. But the problem is that if you sacrifice like that for too long, eventually it becomes ingrained and then there's nothing left for you as an individual. Yeah. And the firms are complicit in this because they continue that. So you become a CPA, right? You study for the exam and Peter encourages you to work yourself. That becomes your personality, right? Right. And you have nothing else in your life. And you think, oh, that's just going to be six months a year. But then you go work for the firm and the firm now says, just grind it out. It'll be worth it later. So you grind for two or three years. And by the time you've been grinding for like four or five years, it becomes really hard not to because it becomes ingrained in you and you don't even know what to do when you're not grinding. I was like that uh, in school. I was really good academically. I worked hard in high school so I could go to a really amazing university. I went to a top 10 school and I didn't know what to do with myself when I wasn't studying. And I had a crisis when I graduated and I realized the real world was nothing like this artificial environment that I'd been conditioned in. And I kind of wish that I'd figured that out a lot sooner. I'd, I'd have 20 years of my life back, you know? I mean, I'm glad I figured it out now because I'm, and I'm not like a 65-year-old, you know, audit partner who's just realizing this. If you're hearing this ad, it's because podcast advertising works. If you want to get your product, your company, your firm, your app, your community, etc., in front of accountants, bookkeepers, and tax professionals, you should be sponsoring Earmark podcasts like the Accounting Podcast, Oh My Fraud, the Unofficial QuickBooks Accountants Podcast, and the Earmark Podcast with Blake Oliver, CPA. These are the biggest accounting podcasts on the planet, and we just opened up the 2024 ad slots. If you're ready to make your mark with Earmark Podcast, send me an email. David at earmark.me. That is David at earmark.me. Also, did you hear that Earmark is now doing webinars? That's right, webinars. We're calling them Webinars Plus. The plus is that you can attend the webinar live or watch on YouTube, LinkedIn, or Facebook. And if you can't attend a live webinar, you can just watch it on demand and still get CPE credits via the Earmark app, whatever time, place, or format is most convenient for you. You'll find the Webinars Plus channel in the Earmark app. If you don't have the Earmark app yet, hit pause, click that App Store icon, and search for Earmark. It's that easy. Going back to the uh, ruling by that second U.S. Court of Appeals, Madman Dan says, "Uff, that ruling was kind of savage. Wonder, <laughs> does that ruling give precedent in some way for future cases? LOL. Possibly. Well, I guess the question is, what's going to happen next? Because... I think like the SEC commented on this and said, uh, like this is, you know, audits are valuable, right? They protect investors, all that stuff. But like, I, I, I don't know. I'd be curious to know. Um, well, I think we're going to see a lot with all these SPAC cases. There's going to be hundreds <laughs> of these. They're going to yeah, go belly up here soon. Curtis Smith says, hi, Blake and David. I'm a master of accounting student entering the field. I am wanting to do tax. I heard a lot of audit horror stories. Do you think uh, mid size do you think of mid-sized or local firms start my career? So, um, I mean, I primarily network, like my social world is small firm owners, progressive, remote firms that are not like traditional firms. Most of them don't even have offices. So that's, that's the world that I live in. Um, and I think they're great. Now, 
there's disadvantages to starting in a small firm, which is like you'll get less experience working with big clients. And so that's something that I, I really don't – I'm not really qualified. I mean, but, well, I, so I got to work with some big clients for like a, a, a year before I quit the big firm I was at, and that was a really interesting experience. So but, there is valuable experience at a, at a larger firm for sure. I mean, it's not um, 100%, but I think like most of these small firms that are progressive – right, forward-thinking, doing really amazing things right now, almost all of them have been started by people that did do a stint yeah. in public or at a big four at some point in their career early on. Yeah. Obviously, they figure out what they liked and didn't like, and they started their own firm. So to say there's no benefit to it at all would be harsh to say because they obviously, it's influenced how they're running their firms. And I'm one of the biggest critics of large firms. And I will actually tell you, based on my experience, I learned a lot. <laughs> I didn't last very long. Right, I didn't last the two or three years. I lasted one year, <laughs> but um, I still learned a ton in that one year at the large firm. So, I think I'm going to say I'm going to go on the side of as long as you don't get brainwashed. Does that make sense? Like, go work for the large firm, but don't let them condition you, and they will try to brainwash you. Well, that takes place earlier at the university, I think. Well, it starts they there, right? For the big four, yes. Yeah. And you got to understand, the way these big firms work, they're like a machine. They are designed to extract as many billable hours out of you as they can get because that's how they charge clients. Even if stuff's on a fixed fee, the whole performance incentive management system of the firm is all based on realization, utilization, billable hours. And you will get really messed up if you are a super ethical person in these systems because the the way to get ahead is to lie on your timesheet or distort your timesheet. Call it whatever you will. It's not to report the actual hours. And you can't let that um, turn you away from accounting either. I mean, it's, it's, it's awful that that's the system that we live in, but like you just got to, you, you know, if you can't do that, um, what'll happen is you'll, you'll build the wrong amount of hours and then you'll piss off somebody and, and you'll get managed out. You know, like, it's just, it's a messed up system. So and if you're going to do it, go look at something like BDO. So at least you build up a little equity for two years. If it's right. not your plan, it's like, hey, I'm going to go get two or three years of experience. You know, maybe I get ability to travel. Maybe I can participate in a remote audit type situation. But at least you're building up some equity. So after three years, you left with something yeah. versus all the other firms that don't have any uh, employee ownership type models. If you're in the live stream and... You see Curtis's comment here, um, and you have some advice for Curtis. You know, you you probably, if you're in tax, you're definitely more qualified than me to answer questions about tax. Uh, I know lots of people who are in it. Like some people really like the workload compression, and they'll earn like eighty percent of their income in four months, and go do adventurous stuff the rest of the year. If you can hack that, like if that works for your personality, that's great. I think like. Find find something that fits there, um, but maybe you don't like that. I found that I actually really like spreading things out. I like working a little bit every day. And I'll even do that like on the weekend, right? I work kind of just constantly. And uh, it's just sort of like I'm always on, I'm always working, but I'm also always on vacation, if that makes sense. Like I like that kind of lifestyle. But you have to find what works for you. Chayton says, Summit Virtual CFO seems to be doing it right by measuring outputs and not inputs. I think they are definitely one of the, I mean, they're now part of a big firm, Anders. They're, they're like a $13 million practice now, but they've still kept their own, you know, organizational structure. 
And I just interviewed Jody Grundon, the founder of Summit CFO, on my Earmark podcast. So go search for Earmark on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, and, and you'll find Jody. He's the founder. And then I interviewed two of his virtual CFOs who are in their 30s. So go search for Summit CPA, and you can listen to both of those interviews. And I agree. I think they're doing amazing. And they've got a performance um, compensation system that is based on your book of business as a virtual CFO. So you can choose how much you work based on how big your book is. And if you're really efficient, you can actually make a lot of money and work less, which I think is a great structure and would have appealed to me versus me just billing a bunch of hours or being more efficient and then lying on my timesheet. Yeah, <laughs> you know? motivate your, your staff to figure out how to handle twice as many clients by using whatever means necessary, yeah. technology, automation, You know, hopefully they share with their other team members, but yeah. Chayton says, this is really amazing advice. I've always worked too many hours and need to avoid that when I get into my long-term career. Yes, especially when you're young. Like, I kind of regret I didn't travel more when I was younger because I was working. And there are definitely benefits. Like now I have the money to travel and I have the time to do it because I've like set up my life that way. And I don't know if I necessarily would be where I am now if I hadn't hustled more when I was younger. But there's trade-offs, right? Like my knee you know, I'm 40 years old and my knee hurts like every day a little bit. Like, yeah. you know, like there's certain things like I'm going to, I'm going to go hike half dome this summer, hopefully. Like I, I have to worry about whether or not my leg is going to be able to handle that. I would not have worried about that 15 <laughs> years younger. ago. Right. Like there's, there's things you need to like contemplate, like your life, <laughs> your life will be long, but your physical health, like the point of your life where you are in this peak physical condition and can do really cool stuff and travel and and just deal with anything like that that doesn't last very long so i would say don't give it up completely Tayton says i have a friend who has taken all of the cpa exams as a sophomore in college through guam do you know anything more about this i don't if anyone does feel free to chime in david has put the interviews with joey and hannah from summit slash anders Actually, the... I didn't do that either. Somebody else did it. Oh, sweet. Thank <laughs> we you. Have, we have invisible Thank hands. Thank you to the Earmark team. Hands at work. Where sure. is it? The Earmark team putting those Yeah, those are, on the U- those are on YouTube um, in the YouTube comments. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can find the link there. Awesome. Um, well, how, wow, the, this hour just blew by. It did go fast. What do we got left? I mean, you turned me on to this story. I didn't see it on social media, but I guess it was pretty big. And we don't talk about it too much. It's more of a, it just pisses me off about the... Apparently the the accountant that had a breakdown at the airport. Did oh yeah, this? I saw that. And and the and apparently there's another video of him cussing out a neighbor. So he's gone viral twice apparently already. Oh no. And so he might just be an asshole for all I know. Who knows, right? But the problem is, is the way the media treats this. Now both these stories were in the Daily Mail, the UK, right? Which is very uh National Enquirer style reporting yeah. per se. But they could have said like crazy bald guy. Crazy dog owner, crazy traveler, but no, instead they chose to say crazed accountant, right? And that's just like the, this goes back to um, throwing the IRS under the bus in the Barbie movie and just this freedom of the press and mainstream, just to constantly toss accountants under the bus. And I'm always like, where is the ACPA defending this, right? Like come back and be like, because there's no, there's, there's zero reason to mention he's an accountant at all. Right. Right. 
Like you said, some asshole loses his mind at the airport. No, instead they said accountant. That's but but then I just first search. I search for crazy accountant on Google, and you get things like crazy accounting lady, sex crazy killer accountant. There's like these other like it's so common. Like we have to start breaking that stereotype. I mean that that's really the story there. It's not so much as video. It's just the fact that they could have chose any other title to ref, refer to this guy, and they chose to put the profession in. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't at a firm. It had nothing to do with accounting in any way, shape, or form. No, but I guess crazed, crazed accountant was what they went with. It's, it's, I mean, it's part it of the of like, image problem our, our profession has. We're supposed to be mild-mannered. I think so. Like, yeah. When the accountant loses their shit, that's when you know everything is going bad, right? <laughs> that's when you know, it's time, time to time, get out. It's an end-of-time story is what yeah, it really is. time to get out, yeah. <laughs> Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us today. For those of you who joined our live stream, we really love having you. And uh, Chayton, good luck on all of your future endeavors. And to any of the students who are listening, accounting is a wonderful field. You just got to find your way. Um, the traditional path is not the only way. And if you have never followed us on YouTube, subscribe. It's the fastest growing podcast platform. You can see us. You can uh, get notified when we go live. And you get the episodes earlier, actually, than on the podcast feed. And um, you can email us, send us your thoughts. We've got a bunch of listener mail that we want to get to. We might have to do a bonus episode uh, in the new year when you get back from your vacation, David. Um, and we'll get to that. We read all the emails. You can email us at theaccountingpodcast at earmark.me. And don't forget, you can get CPE for listening today. Download the Earmark app from the iOS app store or the Android Google Play store. Sign up for free. Get a free hour of CPE. And if you want to support the work we do at Earmark, you can buy an unlimited subscription and get as much CPE as you can cram in before the end of your renewal period. And I think like for some of you who have payroll, 1099 season, W9s, we might not see you for a couple of weeks. Uh, we'll come back and catch up on some of those episodes in January. But then for uh, the rest of you, if you have to actually go into the office and participate in that working theater, what'd you call it? Productivity theater productivity theater yeah you know join the live stream turn it on press play in your cube you know well you're earning cpe right so, so, yes, so you're like you're being double productive when you do that awesome david uh have a happy new year to all our listeners well. um by the time you hear this you'll probably be in the new year so welcome to 2024 and i hope you have an excellent year and uh our best to all of you Time for the classifieds. Your accounting firm is buzzing with new hires. They're eager, they're promising, they say they know QuickBooks inside and out, but soon you're seeing red flags. Errors keep creeping into the work, and once again, you're in the trained, correct repeat cycle. Break free with Royal Wise Owls. Alisa Katz Pollock, one of Ignition's 2023 top 50 women in accounting, developed a comprehensive QuickBooks training platform with live webinars and on demand courses enabling your staff to learn QBO while earning CPE. Their bronze, silver, and gold memberships range from core QBO courses and discussion groups to unlimited video library access, monthly coaching sessions, and exclusive discounts. Kickstart your journey towards a QuickBooks savvy workforce today by visiting royalwise.com. That's royalwise.com. 
Stop settling for slow payments and say hello to the future of AR with Forwardly. Accounts that use Forwardly can receive payments in less than 22 seconds. Yes, under 22 seconds via the newly launched FedNow network. And if your bank or a client's bank doesn't yet use FedNow, Forwardly will send the payment via same-day ACH for free. To get paid in under 22 seconds, go to forwardly.com. That's forwardly.com. Are you in the New York City area or want an excuse to travel to New York City? Join LiveFlow and Oh My Fraud podcast host Greg Kite for a one-day event in New York City at the LiveFlow office. Greg will show you how to take control of your career, learn how to become more entrepreneurial, and become more influential in the accounting industry, all while earning CPE credits. This in-person event takes place January 31st at 9 a.m. Eastern. To save your seat, head to www.liveflow.io slash events slash Greg dash Kite dash event. That's www.liveflow.io slash events slash Greg-Kite-Events. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.